Um, we mentioned in, uh, we had Thursday, the Maundy Thursday service. There's three of the greatest days in history that the whole world celebrates. Number one, the day that Jesus Christ was born. We celebrate Christmas. The whole world recognizes on Friday that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world. And everybody in the world recognizes on Easter Sunday that he rose from the dead. Three greatest days in history that the whole world recognizes. One man changed all of history, all of the world. So there's a famous phrase that I hope you know every time uh, someone gets together on Easter. Uh, there is a response. So I will say, he is risen, and you will say, he is risen indeed. Can you handle that? Okay. He is risen. He, he is, is risen, risen indeed. indeed. All right. Very good. He is. All the songs we're going to sing about this morning are about the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on a cross, was put into a tomb, and rose from the dead. And he is currently at the right hand of God the Father, in charge of all the universe, in charge of our lives. So we're going to sing about that this morning. Would you stand with me as we get ready for our service and worship? Pray with me. <clears throat> Father, so few people in this world recognize your place in their lives. There are so few in this world that have asked you to forgive their sins. They know that you were a real person. They know that you uh, came to this earth as a baby. They recognize that. They celebrate it. They recognize that uh, you were hung on a cross to die. But I think somehow the significance of that is lost on them. And they recognize that you came out of a grave. At least that's what everybody says. And yet they don't have a relationship with you. They haven't recognize that that death on the cross could pay for every sin in their life, that they could have forgiveness of sins, uh, joy, peace, love, the, your very spirit living in them, and a day-to-day -day relationship with you, and yet they miss that. Pray that somehow today, as I'm sure there are people in services all over the world who only come on Easter and Christmas, maybe today, that the word, that your songs that are sung about you would penetrate their hearts, that you might open their spiritual eyes and help them to see that you are the Lord of the universe, that you love them, that you died for them, and that you are offering them eternal life, eternal salvation in mm -hmm. you. We pray that as we sing this morning, you would give us real joy as we recognize that you are our Savior and you are not in a tomb anywhere. There's no one's ever going to find your bones here that someone is hidden or something else. You are alive at the right hand of the Father and living in our hearts to give us a relationship with you. We praise you for that. Use everything that's done today to glorify yourself in Christ's name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> if you take your sheet, we have some very beautiful 
Easter hymns we want to sing today, starting with Christ the Lord is risen today. on this one it sounds like a sad song Loey's in the grave and everybody's waiting to see what's going to happen but the chorus really picks up up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes forever with his saints to reign. 
see Jesus Christ. He's uh, at the right hand of the Father. And uh, I, I know some of you have probably been to Israel and you've seen what they say is the empty tomb, but nobody is for sure which one that is. But one way I know Jesus is alive is because he's alive in my life. I serve a risen Savior and he's in the world today and I know that he is living whatever men may say. He lives, he lives, he lives within my heart. I serve a risen Savior He's in the world today I know that He is living Whatever men may say I see His hand of mercy I hear His voice of cheer And just the time I need Him He's always near He lives, He lives Where Jesus lives today He walks with me and talks with me Along us narrow way He lives, He lives Salvation to impart You ask me how I know He lives He lives within my heart In all the world around me I see His loving care 
grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blasts. The day of his appearing will come at last. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Rejoice, rejoice, a Christian. Lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King. The hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. You may not think of this one as an Easter song, but... Uh, part of the whole concept of Jesus raising from the dead was so that he could go back to heaven. He could be at his Father's right hand. He could be an advocate for us. He could hear our prayers and uh, send his Spirit to come and live inside of us. And right now, coming out of the tomb and, uh, and uh, the power and the glory that he possesses right now, he deserves to be worshipped. And we deserve to give him that worship. And this song is called Majesty. Majesty, worship his majesty. Unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. Majesty, kingdom authority, thoughts from his throne unto his own, his anthem. Jesus! 
magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus the King. Majesty, worship His majesty. Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings. Sometimes it's hard to think about um, the suffering that Christ went through. Steve mentioned last week in the service, if, as you look at Isaiah, you see the spiritual suffering that Christ went through, and, and Psalm 22, probably the emotional suffering greater there. And when you read Matthew, the Gospels, uh, it's unbelievable the physical torture that Jesus went through is probably enough to kill any man, much less the cross. But um, we need to recognize that and realize that those scars that are on his body, he will bear forever in heaven. And they are the marks of love for us and the marks of a Savior. in the hands and feet of Jesus from being hung on a cross at Calvary He willingly stretched out His feet and His hands to bear the sins of you and me He was wounded for our transgressions
transgressions bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace is upon him and with his stripes we are healed there are gashes around the head of Jesus from a crown of thorns beaten down he was mocked he was scorned he was slapped and spat upon he took the shame for my sin, not his own. There's only one person in heaven bearing scars for all eternity. They're the marks of a Savior, the marks of his love, forever showing the cost paid for me. Wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace is upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Yes, with his stripes we are healed. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 24, we'll be reading the first 12 verses. You're welcome to follow along in the Bible you brought. If not, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Or you can simply listen to the Word of God. Luke 24, beginning at verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning... The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them that told them to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to be like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Did you pray? We know what happened, Father. We know what happened. Death could not keep Jesus Christ in the grave. 
You raised him to show that the sacrifice that he made on that cross was sufficient to pay for all sins of all time. You said, by your resurrection from the dead, that you were satisfied with the sacrifice that had been made. He said it is finished on the cross, and you said it is satisfactory when you brought him out of the tomb. Help us this morning to realize your presence with us everywhere we go, that you're, you're here as we read your word, as we pray, as we sing to you. We serve a risen Savior, and he walks with me and talks with me. I praise you for that, for what we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for his resurrection. In his name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you here on this Resurrection Sunday. Indeed, this is a wonderful day to to worship the Lord, to look at his word, to be together to fellowship, and, and so glad you could be with us today. I want to also thank Raphael and their church. They put this uh, little grave site together, the, the tomb, and then outside too. And if you notice the placard, if you walk in, there's three languages there, non-English. And the top one, I believe, was Greek, then Latin, and the bottom was Hebrew. But uh, so we thank them for that, just reminders indeed of what the Lord has done for us. Today we are going to talk about the resurrection and death of Jesus Christ, the two most significant events in all of the history of mankind. What Jesus did for us that day and for the world is most significant. It is eternally consequential. It is life-changing. And today I want to talk about his suffering, his death, and his resurrection and how it applies to our lives. I want to today go through the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to re be reading most portions, a lot of portions from 20, chapter 22 to chapter 24. And so if you want to turn your Bibles, you can turn there with me, or if you just want to listen along, that's fine. But go to Luke chapter 22. We're going to start in verses 39 to 46. And I have 14 different things. A lot happens. So what we're really doing today is a summary uh, of what took place uh, those that time in uh, Thursday, Friday, and then on Sunday morning as well. But turn to Luke chapter 22. We'll start at verse 39. But the first point, that I'm going to just make these points and I'll read the word, is that Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. We read there in chapter 22, verse 39. It says that he came out and pro pro uh, proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. The disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. His sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. He said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This, of course, was the night before Jesus would be crucified, the night before he 
would die. He knew the importance of getting time with his father where he could pray to his father and pour out his heart to his father and be strengthened and comforted by his father, by the spirit. And we see here also then by the angel. Jesus knew the spiritual suffering and pain that he'd be going through for us. He knew that the sin of all these sinners would be placed on him. He knew that his father would pour out his wrath upon him during that time when he was on the cross. He also knew, and this was probably extremely hard for him, he also knew that he would be separated from his father for the first time ever. That goes back to eternity past. He was in such great agony, we can't understand this, the doctors have told us this could be true, that he was in such great agony, spiritual, mental, emotional, every which way you can think, that he was actually sweating drops of blood. Yet Jesus was humble, we see there. And he actually said, if you can sort of let this go, but he was willing and humble to do whatever his father wanted him to do. But I want to share something here, just mention it. We're going to see this continually uh, as, as I share today that even though Jesus was going through all these things, he was still thinking of others. It's an amazing, and it, you're just going to be really surprised when I point all these things out, because oftentimes when you're going through something very difficult, all of you have been through things that are very difficult, you just think about me, me, you're all focused on yourself. You just have a very hard time getting outside of yourself. And we see with Jesus, amazing, by the grace of God, but he kept thinking of others. And so what did he do here? He talked to the disciples and says, hey, you guys, watch out, pray, because, hey, you're going to be tempted to sin. And they were, and they did fall, but he still exhorted them to be praying and watching themselves. The next point is this, is, is Jesus is betrayed by Judas. We go to Luke 22, verses 47 to 53. While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But he, Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come against him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? Well, I was with you daily in the temple. You did not lay hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. So he's betrayed. Jesus and his disciples are on the Mount of Olives at this time, and Judas is leading a crowd of people. These are Jewish people, particularly a lot of the Jewish leaders, the chief priests, scribes, Pharisees, and also Roman soldiers. There might have been some Roman authorities there as well. And their whole purpose, as Judas and this crowd with him, their purpose is to arrest Jesus. That's what they want to do. Now, we all know this. Jesus had loved Judas perfectly during the whole time they'd been together for, what, two and a half, three years, whatever it had been. He loved him perfectly. And now we see what Judas does. He betrays Jesus with a kiss. And this is, this is sad. But more than that, it's, it's evil. It's wicked. We read there about the power of darkness. And, 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 and I can't help but think that the devil and the demons, there was a, such a tremendous evil force, powerful dark force at that time, overcoming that all the, peop, the people there and what was taking place and what will continue to see happen. But anyway, in all this, God knows, Jesus knows that God is sovereign. And this was God's plan. There, there's a verse, Acts 2, 27, 
this man Jesus delivered up by the predestined plan and foreknowledge of God. That is, God knew this in eternity past. Jesus knew this. The Spirit knew this. Eternity past, this was what was supposed to happen. Well, during this time, we read here that one of the disciples cuts off the ear of the slave of the high priest. And this disciple thinking, hey, maybe I can put a stop to this. That was just just a joke. Wasn't going to happen. Not at all. In fact, in Matthew 26, it's very interesting what Jesus says at this time. He says, or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? You know how many angels are in one legion or any soldiers in a legion? It's 6,000. That's 72,000 could be there at, in a split second. There probably weren't more than, I don't know, a few hundred people there, maybe more than that, but he could have been there, could have stopped all this right away. He could have done that. So what does Jesus do? The second example of him showing his love for others, he, he, he could have let this guy's ear just bleed like, that can be a mess, you know, and he picks up the ear and puts it back on and he heals it. In fact, I was thinking about this this slave of the high priest and probably went home later on whether it was that night or the next day and told his family look he cut off my ear but it's healed and they said what you're crazy what's wrong with you here's perfect your ear is perfectly fine <laughs> of course jesus is the perfect healer if you go to the doctor he'd sew it up and put bandages on it but jesus could heal it just on the spot but encouraging to see what what he did Next, Jesus is arrested by the Roman authorities, verse 54 of chapter 22. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest, but Peter was following at a distance. The Jewish leaders here are using the Roman authorities, the Roman military, to help accomplish their purposes of having Jesus arrested. And here's Jesus. He's there. You just have, always have to picture Jesus. Here he's there. He's completely innocent. Quite, he's quiet, and, and he, he, he's, he's, just, he's a perfect man. What happens to the disciples? <laughs> disciples, um, they, they leave. They um, take off. They flee. They're afraid. We know what happened. They're afraid, and no one's there to defend them. But middle of the night then, and you have to understand the picture. Marsh and I were there back in, it was in 97, on the Mount of Olives. And it's a good size. It's not a mountain. It's a good-sized hill. I'd say probably maybe 1,500 feet in elevation or so. But as you're there in the Mount of Olives, you can see across this pretty deep valley, the Kidron Valley, you could see the city of Jerusalem. So when it says there, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest, that's at least a half-mile walk, at least, if not more. And you're going down this steep valley and up the valley and into Jerusalem. So it's, it's, it's a ways. He's tired. They just arrested him. They take him to the house of the, the high priest where they're going to have these illegal proceedings. And the purpose at that time for the Jews was to have this unjust trial so they could make up all these charges so they could then put him to death. That was their purpose. We understand that. We continue on, verses 55 to 62. This is Peter's denial of Jesus. After they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down, Peter was sitting among them, a servant girl seeing him, as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man is with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You're one of them too. Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. 
We all know that Peter was Jesus' number one disciple, very, very faithful to the Lord. He followed Jesus here to the house of the high priest. He was sitting there with some of the Roman soldiers outside the house. And, and, and that Peter, you think about this, that Peter went this distance, another disciple with him too, but that, that he went there to be with Jesus in courage. It's a sign of his love, but it didn't take long where the fear set in. And we read what happened. He was not, did not just deny Jesus once, and not just twice, but three different times. And I, and I can't help but think that that Jesus is, is, is saddened by this. He had greatly and perfectly loved Peter all this time, but spent so much, so much time with him. And, and, and what we see there, and look at verse 61. It says, The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Again, here's a third example. Again, we see that Jesus was thinking of others. Well, just focus on himself. The most difficult problem anybody he ever went through, he was thinking about others, he was thinking about Peter, and he looks at him. And, and you have to believe that their eyes met. You have to believe that happened. There are actual paintings that have been done in the past of, of what's it's called, actually, actually called the look. And, and so I wonder, I, I don't know, none of us really know for sure, but what was the look that Jesus had on his face? What was it? Sadness, sorrow, compassion, mercy, love, all of those things, I believe, coming from his own heart. But Jesus looked at him, and Peter felt so bad, and um, he, he left there. We continue on. Read verses 62 to 71. He went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and saying, and they mocking him and beating him, and they blindfolded him and were asking him, saying, Prophecy, who is the one who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blaspheming him. When it was the day, the council of elders, the elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, they led him away to their council chamber, saying, If you're the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe me. If I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, Yes, I am. Then they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. So what we see happen here, they, have, they got the Sanhedrin together. That's the, the Supreme Court. It's about 70 different members from religious leaders and other people, Pharisees, Sanhedrin. And so it's a long night. Now it was morning. Jesus hadn't slept a bit. And we understand these Jews, these Romans, were very much against them. They mocked him. They beat him, it says here, uh, blindfolded him, just made so much fun of this Jesus. They now had him. And you have to go back and realize this. I mean, the, the Roman soldiers heard about Jesus, but these Jewish religious leaders had been for a long time, probably at least a couple years, thinking this is where we want him. We want to get him, and we want to put him to death. So this has been in their mind, their rage, their, their vent. You know, it, this is happening here. And so, so what happens is, is, is they ask Jesus this, a question, this question. And Jesus, of course, is, is totally exhausted at this time, mentally, spiritually, emotionally spent. But he kept going. They asked this question, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? And what's amazing, and it, God wanted this, is Jesus said, yes, I am. I am. 
And this is all Jesus' enemies needed. For Jesus stating that he was the Son of God was the evidence they needed, was blasphemy in their minds, and this is that we can put them to death now. But of course, Jesus Christ was God, is God, was Christ, is Christ. That's the truth. But they wanted them to say it because they didn't believe it. And, 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 and according to their rules, the Bible, you put somebody to death for that. We continue on, chapter 23. Jesus is now before Pilate, the governor. So the, the Jewish Sanhedrin had just met. Then the whole body of them, I assume it's a 70, got up and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding, for, for, forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, the king. And so Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, yes, it is as you say. And Pilate said to the chief priests, the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying he stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. When Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he heard that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem at that time. And so Jesus is now taken to Pilate. He is the Roman-appointed leader of Israel. And the Jews knew they had to get the Roman authorities involved in this execution of Christ. They had to. So they're bringing their case to Pilate. What do they say? Two, two main things. This man is the Christ, and he says he's the king. And, of course, Pilate did not care a lick about whether he was the Christ. He didn't care about their religious, religion, Judaism. He didn't, that was not his jurisdiction. That's not his, his thing. He is concerned about him being a king, though. Because he knew that, hey, I, I'm the leader here. I don't want anybody usurping my authority, taking over my role and my position. What, he's, what he does there, we see this, he asks Jesus if he is a king. And Jesus, of course, tells him that he is a king. But the thing is, you have to think about this. Why was, was, was Pilate not concerned about Jesus being a king? Because he had heard about Jesus. He had heard all kinds of reports for the last couple years and Jesus wasn't doing anything showing that he wanted to take over the nation of Israel. He wasn't a threat at all. Not only that, there was no Roman laws, and that was what Pilate was concerned with, no Roman laws that he was breaking. He says, hey, the, the, the man's not guilty. I find no guilt in him. In fact, I'm not sure if it's this or John, one of the Gospels, where four different times he says, I find no guilt in the man. Not, he's, he's fine. Let him go. Of course, the Jewish leaders totally disagree with Pilate about Jesus not being guilty. But Pilate, we have to think about this, he does not want to be forced by the Jewish leaders to say he's guilty. I mean, here he is. He, he's, he's the one in charge there. He didn't want these Jewish people telling him what to do. And plus, he didn't see anything wrong anyway. So that, that's the, the tension you see that's going on here. Now, more of, of Pilate's conversation with Jesus is, is given to us in John. Turn to John 18. Just read a few verses here. So they do talk a little bit. John 18, 33 to 38. John 18, 33 says, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? 
Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. I like what he says there. He says he's a king. But he says he's going to testify to the truth. Now think about this. This moment in time, here we are. It's early morning. It's Friday morning. Crucifixion would be in a, in a just short time after this point in time. All of eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit, knew that this point in time would come, the climax, the culmination of Christ's life on earth, that he would then die, then be raised. From it. it was right here at this moment. And Jesus was testifying, not that he was just a king. That wasn't big in his mind at that time testifying that he was a savior. That's what was on his mind. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die for the sins of people and then be raised again. He knew all this. He knew the plan. He understood it clearly. That's what he was thinking. That's what he was focused on. That's what he was really testifying to. And you look at the Gospels, that's the message you see, page after page after page. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I want to save people from their sins. Back to Luke chapter 23. Jesus is now before Herod, verse 8 through 12. Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted to see him for a long time because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign, before by, some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for, for before they had been enemies with each other. So here's Herod. Pilate doesn't want to deal with this. Okay, here's Herod. He's got some authority here. You know, now Pilate's the main guy, but well, let's see what Herod can do with him. And Herod, of course, was glad to see him. He had heard so much about him and all these miracles. And what's it say he wanted to see? And I hope he does a miracle for me. So he just peppers him with all these questions, and Jesus is silent. This fulfilling prophecy, Isaiah 53, like a sheep that is silent before its shear, so he did not open his mouth. Why should Jesus answer a fool's question? He wasn't going to listen. He wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to give him the time of day. And so the Jewish leaders there, they hate Jesus with a passion, and there are the Roman soldiers. And again, the Jewish leaders had this hate that had been building up over the years. The Roman soldiers did not have much to do with them, but they're there and they're doing what? They're mocking, they're laughing, they make fun of him. They put this robe, this royal robe on him. They put the crown of thorns. They put this reed in his hand. It's like it's a you know, king's scepter. Hey, you're the king, huh? You're the king just taunting him, laughing at him. So you have, to, you have to put yourself in this picture, this whole time period that went on, you know, from this Thursday night, probably this whole 18-hour stretch or so, where he was continually being laughed at and taunted, the, the, the mental, the emotional pain that he went through, let alone the spiritual and the, the physical things that he went through. Turn back to Matthew. Again, it, it, we, we see this. This is Matthew 27, 29 to 21.
29, it says, after they twisted together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. They knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. You all know, you spit in somebody's face. That's a real put down. Man, you're just really making fun of him. And began to beat him on the head. And these, these are soldiers. I mean, these are tough people. These are not just little light taps. And these are, he's getting beat up bad. After they had mocked him, they took off the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. But there's nothing that Herod can do. And Pilate sort of knew that. So Herod sends them back to Pilate. So now we come. This important time, Jesus is sentenced to death. Luke chapter 23, verses 13 to 23. Luke 23, 13 to 23. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Now he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. They cried out all together, saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. He was one who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on calling out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has this man done? I found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. But they were insistent with loud voices, asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that, their demand be granted, and he released the man they were asking for, who had been beaten, then thrown into prison for insurrection murder, for he delivered, he, but he delivered Jesus to their will. It says in Acts chapter 4, speaking of Herod and Pilate and others, they didst anoint both Herod, thou didst anoint both Herod and Pilate, along with the Gentiles the people of Israel, to do what thy hand, thy purpose predestined to occur. So here it is. God had all this planned out. He knew all about Herod and Pilate and the Jews and the Romans way back in eternity past, all planned out by the Lord. So here's Pilate. He's in a quandary. He knows that Jesus does not deserve to die. But he has to deal with these Jews. And they are furious when he tells them that, hey, Herod and I done nothing wrong. The guy's innocent. Well, the tradition we read there was to release a prisoner on that day. And so here's Pilate's thought. Was, well, 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 this will do. I'm going to punish Jesus, and I'll release Barabbas, hoping in his mind that that would make them happy. It did not at all. They kept yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. Again, I'll go back to that phrase, the power of darkness. There's no doubt that the demons were abundant. The devil, looking at this whole situation, it was indeed a devilish, demonic, evil time. God using, devil using his people for his purposes. Finally, Pilate gives in. Tough one. I mean, we read in the other Gospels about Pilate's wife says, hey, don't anything to do with this man. She had a dream and says, leave it alone. But he was stuck, and he finally gives in. He finally gives in. And uh, think about Jesus. He, he, here he is, and he's, he's listening to all that's going on. 
he, he's seeing faces. He's seeing the evil and the faces, hearing the evil and the voices of these people who are around him, the Romans and the Jews. He sees all these other people because he's led, you know, the crowds of people are out there too, and he's standing there and they're yelling crucified. He sees their faces, people that he had loved so much. I mean, literally, two and a half, three years of just perfectly loving these people and teaching them and doing all kinds of miracles. He had only done good things, nothing ever wrong, nothing ever sinful, and there he is, perfectly innocent, standing before them, and he looks at them. And he loves them. And he knows what his purpose is, that he is there to die for their sin. And now they're rejecting him. And if they continue rejection, he knew they'd pay the price. They'd be apart from him forever and ever and ever. I can't help but think that during this whole time, I mean, during his whole life, but now you think we're thinking about this time, this Thursday night, this Friday, through the night, Friday morning, and the cross, he had to be praying. You, you know this. He was praying. He was praying to his father. Of course, when he prayed, the spirit was always there too. So they're encouraging him and comforting him. We understand that. So there's this close communion going along this whole time. He was being sustained by his relationship with the father, by the power of the spirit. This was what was going on. Turn, in fact, turn to, turn to Psalm 16. This, this illustrates what I'm talking about here. This portion, this part of, the, the, this, the, of, of chapter 16 is, is definitely about Jesus. Verse 7 to the end. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is my right hand, I will not be shaken. He knew the Lord. He knew the Father. knew the Spirit was with him. Therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. He had hope. In, in, in spite of all that was going on, what sustained him was knowing that he had hope. He says, hey, my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh will dwell securely. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Then that great promise, you will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. The last two verses, he knew he'd be with the Lord real soon. And this last part of the verse would be true. Fullness of joy and pleasures forever. So I want you to think about that, that, that relationship that he had with the Father the prayer, the communion with the Spirit during this time. Then we go to Jesus is scourged. Matthew, it's not written in Luke, but the Matthew text. I'll just read the verse. Um, Matthew 27, verse 26. Soldier, the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around and... Um, Where's it at here? Well, it was 20, 26 before that. Then he released Barabbas for them, verse 26. But after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. None of us can imagine how difficult this would have been. Some of you might have seen the movie The Passion of the Christ. It might be somewhat illust illustrative of what took place because he was tied up, his back was taut, you know, full out, so that every strike from the whip would have maximum effect on his back. Very difficult, extremely, excruciatingly painful. We just can't imagine all that he went through. And so his 
No doubt his back was really messed up, bleeding profusely. Of course, he didn't deserve this at all. Not at all. Then we see, back to Luke 23, verses 26 to 31. When they, they met, when they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him with the large crowd of the, was a loud, large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus turned, turned to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that are never born and the breasts that never nursed. Then they'll begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us into the hills, cover us, for if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? So they're leading them away. They have to go to this place of crucifixion. It's called Golgotha. It's a little ways away. I'm not sure exactly how. It's not super far, but a little walk. And John 19:7 makes it clear that Jesus began, that he, he they put the cross on him, but I don't think he got too far. Uh, we understand that Simon of Cyrene uh, helped him out. Probably some, some strong guy from the countryside came in. And we understand later, Simon might have got saved. We know for sure his son Alexander, I believe this is Romans 16, was a believer. And, and there's no doubt what Simon told his family about what he did when he was with Jesus because he could see Jesus be with him. But, 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 but here's the point. There, Simon's carrying the cross. Jesus is walking along. We, we see there that, that there's large crowd of the people. In that verse 27, a large crowd. And, and, and if you were there, you probably would have wanted to see this too, right? Hey, let's, let's go see what's happening. And he had the large crowd. And, and friends, foes, some were mocking, some were laughing, some were jeering, some were making fun. Jesus, why don't you do a miracle now? But there's others. You know, and I, I don't know. It doesn't say, you know, was John there? Was his mother there? Was Mary Mag? We don't know for sure. I, I cannot help. We see here that there were this, these women who are mourning and lamenting and weeping and wailing. We understand that. But I want to get to the point that proves this point that I said before. Jesus wasn't just thinking about himself. Again, you've all gone through really tough times, and you just all think about your own situation. You cannot get out of your own head. What's he do? He turns to these women. He knew, in fact, he had predicted in Luke 19, Luke 21, now Luke 23, three times in a few chapters, he had predicted what was going to take place in Jerusalem and Israel in the years to come. And the Roman authorities and soldiers had enough with, with, the, with the Jews. It's around 70 A.D. When they came in, they killed hundreds of thousands of Jews. They just leveled Jerusalem. We read this in Luke 19 and Luke 21. Just left to stones and all these people had died. So he's warning them. And, and really, it's a warning, if you don't turn to me, and the, the big point is not that people might physically die, but turn to me because I'm the Savior. I want to save your souls, save your souls from eternal punishment. And so, he carries his cross. Go now to the next part. Jesus is crucified. First, verse 32. Two others also who are criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. Verse 33, then to 49, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, the other on the left. Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. 
The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you the, not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Other answered and rebuked him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we're receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It is now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent, and all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. So Jesus is crucified. Just a few points to make here. He's crucified between two criminals, two people who should have died, okay, deserved to die, and they both did die. But what's interesting, again, we see this. this. This one criminal is repentant. Jesus could have said, I forget this guy. Just let him die. He deserves to die. He deserves to go to hell. Just let him go. And this, this guy's repentant. And, and the example is clear. If a person's humble and wants to get saved, God will save your soul. That will happen. And Jesus saves him. That very minute, he saves him. And then he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Very important. That's a very important verse for a lot of reasons. One, because... Uh, means you don't get saved by the things you do. So many people in this world think you got to do works. What kind of good works could this criminal do? Not one thing. Today you will be with me, Jesus, in paradise, in heaven. Some people think that, you know, people go to limbo. That's, not, that's another story, but I don't want to go into that at this time. That is when people who are believers die, they go to limbo. But he says, you'll be with me in paradise. So that's, that's what he says. And, and, and then the next thing is, is the soldiers there. Again, these these. Soldiers are callous, they're casual, hey, they're just having fun, joking around, you know, this is their duty, they probably don't get paid that much, they're just there, and they're gambling the clothes away. That's what they're doing. And Jesus sees all this. I mean, he sees the mass of people out there, and the ones who are jeering and laughing, he sees the people who love them are standing there silent, and just concerned, and probably praying, and, and he sees these soldiers. And, and then, another example, this isn't here, but the Apostle John is there. John was faithful. He must have been standing next to Mary, Jesus' mother, because you know what he says? Hey, I want you to take care of my mom. Now, Jesus had three, I always get confused, half-brothers, half stepbrothers. Anyway, he had three other brothers, okay? Three other brothers, but he picks John. And, and that's, this has got to be a sweet time. I mean, here is Jesus. The, the people there hear this, some of the ones up front anyway, because I think John's mom were probably more in the front part of the crowd. And, and they hear this, and he's, he's, it's a sweet and tender thing to do, very encouraging, take care of my mom. He says, I will. And, of course, you know, we know that John lived a long time. He never was actually martyred, so he lived for the full life of Jesus' mom and, and all the way. And then, of course, we see that Jesus asked his father to forgive people of their sin, again, not thinking about himself. People whose sins he was actually dying for at that time. And, and, and God answered that prayer. Again, you see this, the amazing love that Jesus had during this whole time, during this whole time. He just loved the people. 
Now high noon, everything goes dark. Is, is, is some say, say, well, was he paying for our sins those first three hours, 9 to noon, or just 12 to 3? And we can debate that. For sure, 12 to 3. Everything goes dark. If he had any communication with his father at all, it's cut off at that time. And because God's wrath is being poured out on his son at that time. Went on for three straight hours. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you, you parse that and you look at each word, each, each, each word there is important. My, my God, you're my God. Why? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows the answer. He knows the answer. Go back to Psalm 22. I'd like to read more here. I'll just read a little bit. The two chapters in the Old Testament that are classic, talking about Jesus and what he did for us, is Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. But Psalm 22, the, the first verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew what he'd be saying. He read this. He knew this chapter was about himself. Go to verse 11 says, be not far from me, for trouble is near. There's none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. In this text here, he uses four different animals to describe the enemies. He uses animals. You people out there are like animals. Because most animals back then, I mean, dogs too, they were not nice little pampered dogs. They were mean. They were tough. They would rip you apart if they had a chance. It says, many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me, as a raving and roaring lion, and poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast Lots. So he knew all was going to happen. I, I, I can't imagine how he felt. All my bones are out of joint. Man, if you have one bone out of joint, that's pretty painful, right? I mean, his back had just been ripped apart. You know, he'd been beaten on the head, and he was exhausted in every which way. And there he was, you know. And finally, a couple of verses on this point. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what was taking place at that time. But the next verse, which I don't always share, and I should share it because it tells you the results. Verse 9 of Romans 5, it says, having been justified by his blood, the result of what he did, we're justified, we're made righteous, holy and perfect in God's sakes, and goes on to say, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. No punishment, no eternal punishment, no hell, because I put my trust in Christ. That verse is good. Then this one here, this is Luke 23, 46, and I'll read this again. Jesus crying out with a loud voice, saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. The work was done in John 19, 30, which I love this verse. John 19, 30 says simply, it is finished. And that's when he said this too. It's all done. The work to pay for the sinners of all the people who ever believed me, done. Completely, completely done. Continue on in, in Luke 23, 50 to 56. A man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God, 
This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, laid him in a tomb, cut into the rock where no one could it, had ever been laid. It was the re preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with him out of Galilee followed him and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. There they returned and prepared spices and perfumes and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandments. So he's buried, his body that is. Jesus had physically died. Immediately upon his death, his spirit went to be up with his father where he met the criminal. Okay, not a criminal anymore, right? There is this one who had repented, and he's up there because he said, today you'll be with me. So he was with him. And we also know from 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 and 19, that Jesus went down to this place where the evil demon spirits were proclaiming his victory. Okay, very important. That's 1 Peter. You can look at that sometime. And so we see he was taken down from the cross by Joseph. It says it was a secret disciple. But God worked it out because Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was an important person. He was one of the elite. Nicodemus, too, member of the council. And Nicodemus, too, I believe, was a secret disciple, was with him, we understand, from the other text. You know the story of John 3 when Nicodemus went to Jesus at night, and Nicodemus was saved sometime after that. He said to him, you must be born again by water and by the Spirit. So these two men were there, and taking Jesus' body off the cross, the women were watching this. They anoint him with 100 pounds of myrrh and alice. I mean, they were, Joseph was pretty wealthy. He was a rich man, okay, lots of money. And that's sort of cool, the prophecy in Isaiah, he was not buried in a poor man's tomb like you would have expected. Anybody on the cross, if you're executed on a cross, man, you're a criminal, you're one of the worst people there are, just throw him out in the dirt. Just a shallow grave, whatever. No, he got a rich man's tomb, so it's, it's encouraging to see what God did. Luke 24, 1 to 12, we're not going to read that again. Steve read that for our reading, but that's, he's raised from the dead. A lot of details from the four Gospels about this resurrection and what happened in the days following. I just want to sum up some important things here. First of all, the women close to Jesus, three, four, five, you have different texts. But you think about these women. And, and, you know, it wasn't just one or two, but they, were, they really knew each other well. They were in this together. They were close followers of Jesus. They loved him, and they're all hanging out together, and they saw where he was buried, and, hey, let's go back, and and, and they wanted to anoint him, but I don't, you know, they were thinking, how are we going to get the stone rolled away? Well, they go back there, and you know the story. The stone was rolled away, and angels were there, and Jesus was gone, and, and they're wondering what's going on. And, and you've all had this at times where, in your mind, there's just a mix of thoughts and emotions and feelings, just all these different things, and that's what was going on. They were in shock. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> who moved the stone? Right? The body's gone. You know, they, they were in shock, they were fearful, you know, they were confused, they were bewildered, but it also says there was joy, because I think God gave them a sense, they'd heard this, and how much they actually believed it for sure at that time, that he's going to raise from the dead, but they knew, well, he's not here, his body's not there, he's gone, so they had some hope, there was some joy that they had. What happened? The next 40 days are very important. We know that Jesus spent 40 days live on earth, um, going around. And, and what was his purpose? Why did he want to do that? He could have easily just, from that, you know, tomb that Sunday morning, just zipped right up to heaven. Could have done that. He wanted to be with the disciples. He wanted them to know that he was alive. These were the men and the women who were going to start the church. He was witnessing to them. He wanted them to be witnesses. Yeah, I saw Jesus. 
And 1 Corinthians 15 says there's actually 500 people at one time. There was hundreds, who knows, maybe thousands saw him those 40 days. It seems like, though, and it's hard to exactly prove this, but, but it says in Acts 10 that only those that God chose beforehand to be witnesses were witnesses. So maybe there were some unbelievers there, but there's no doubt the believers saw him, lots of them, and he was in the Jerusalem area. He also went up the Galilean re- region where he had grown up most of his life. So he was, he was, he was telling people, I am alive. There's, there's a guy that is named Lee Strobel, wrote a book called The Case for Christ. He was an atheist, a lawyer, and his wife had just gotten saved. And so he was going to prove, eh, this, this Christ is he's not true. So he goes and uses the Bible and the history of the time. And he, he, he wrote this book, The Case for Christ. He's a lawyer. He says, man, it's true. There is so much evidence to prove that Jesus really did die and rose again. Because, you know, if you go to court for some case, you have evidence. You have people that come in who are witnesses that will testify to the truth. And all these people were testifying to the truth about Jesus. That he was alive. And my life has changed, and things are different. And so that's, those 40 days were so, so important. Then, of course, we know that he was, um, as I said, raised from the dead. And when he was raised from the dead, on that Sunday morning, he was glorified and uh, got the brand-new body, glorified. Uh, powerful, mortal, glorious body, spiritual body, physical body, all these things, a perfect body. That's what Jesus received at that time. Finally, for us, I'm just going to sum this up here in the last minute or so. Is the final point is that, that Christians, we are then to live a Christ-like life. And we can. As people sometimes, and I get this way, I get tired. I get discouraged. You know, I hear things, you know, and things happen. I won't go into all the things that happen. Things happen. They're not easy, okay? <laughs> and, and, but we have the power to live the Christian life. I've been crucified, says that you've been crucified with Christ, no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the way it is. Christ lives in us. And through the power of his death and his resurrection, three things happen. One is we're, we're justified, we're forgiven. That is, Romans 6 talks about how we died with Christ, spiritually speaking, and were raised with Christ, spiritually speaking. That is, we were justified. Romans 6 also goes on to talk about this. Philippians 3.10 talks about we now have the power of the resurrection. Ephesians 1.19 talks about this. Verse 20, we have the power of the resurrection to live the Christian life. You can be and do what God wants you to do. It's got to be humble. Say, not my will. Yours be done. Sometimes you go through life and life's not too hard, so to speak. You know, circumstances aren't so bad. Sometimes it's hard. The road's rough. Lord, help me. I give up. I can't do it. I cannot do this. Just say, you do it for me. And he will. Being willing, being humble is so, so important. So that is, you have, you can live victorious in Christ-like life. You know, I, this is a little, little small thing here. Is, is I always, you know, I have these little files. My notes are in this file. And so this file had failure written on it. I don't know what was in this file before, but it had failure. And so I wrote over victory. <laughs> so it says victory. The point is, is because of Christ, we have the victory and all the power that we need to live the Christian life. Finally, this means we'll be glorified someday. This happens when Christ returns. First John chapter 3, 2 and 3 talks about how we, we will have a body like Christ. 
And so you think about this. We're allowed to live in the end times. The coming of Christ, I would, I would say, sometime this century. I really think it's sometime in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That's my opinion. It could be short, it could be 10. The way things are happening could be, who knows when. But you've got people like Abraham, been gone for 4,000 years. He's still waiting his, for his glorified body. David, Paul, you know, people that you know. I mean, in the last 10 months, Linda, Vicki, last Monday, Jean, all went to heaven. They don't have their glorified body yet. Their salvation isn't complete. Our salvation is only complete when Christ comes back at the end of the age, when we then are glorified, get this powerful, immortal, glorious, spiritual, and physical body. That's a completion. So all of you who are old or older, and you know what that means for yourself, if you feel like you're older, when you're older, your body don't always feel so good, right? Hey, if you're in Christ, you've got hope. It's, it's a wonderful truth, and then we will be in heaven with the Lord forever. So in the ages to come, you'll be perfectly loving and serving Christ. You'll always be filled with love and joy and peace and kindness. Always, always, always you will be receiving an amazing inheritance and reigning with Christ. Indeed, we as Christians have a glorious and wonderful life, and it all goes back. The center, the core message and truth is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is it. Final verses, Psalm 86. I know I've read these recently, but I was thinking, I, I just like these verses. Psalm 86. Verse 8. There's no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. Has that happened yet? Have all nations come before the Lord? Nope, that's future. That's when Christ is king. For you are great and do marvelous, wondrous deeds. You alone are God. God's going to do that. He's going to, all in the future. I think this is a millennial kingdom information here. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. I'll walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart and will glorify your name forever for your loving kindness toward me is great and you've delivered my soul from the depths of the grave. That's it. We're to give thanks to the Lord. Glorify him with all our heart. And as believers, we will do this forever and ever because of who he is and because of what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We bless you for your great love for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Thank you, Father, you did this for us. Thank you for your great mercy, your kindness. You, Holy Spirit, you're working in our hearts and applying Christ's work to our own lives to save us. Thank you, Lord, that you have done this. What a great miracle. And and it's not how we feel. I get a little upset sometimes how people go by how they feel. And I know we have feelings, and we need to be in some ways in touch with our feelings, but much more important, what's the truth? What's the facts? What does your word say? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The truth, Lord Jesus, of, what you, of who you are and what you did for us and what you will continue to do, the promises to the word of God, and what the tr incredible truth that you have there for us, the promises for us and as ones who are believers. Know you, Lord, and the life we have now to live for you and the life you've given, or given to us in the future as well. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. We, we praise you, we love you, we tell you that, that you are worthy of all our praise. We bless you for that. And any here, Lord, that don't know you, that have not yet turned from their sins and turned to you, so it says in the scriptures, today's the day, now's the day of salvation. Lord, might they see, they, they know what the truth says, they know, Jesus, what you did, that you died on the cross for them, that you paid for their sins, and they basically need to turn, admit they're a sinner to you, and confess that, and and, and, and believe in you, Jesus, and what you did for them. And it's mercy. It's forgiveness. It's eternal life. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's not just something that happens one day and that's it. It's, it affects us for the rest of our life. And it's your work, oh God. It's, it's the work of God. Salvation is not what we do, but what you do in and through us and for us, but more importantly, for your glory and your purposes. Thank you again now for this time. I do want to pray for Gene's family. God, through comfort them. Gary, Mary Ellen, and, 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 and Linda, Lord, just thank you for them and just give them your grace at peace at this time and, and the hope that we have that as believers we'll all be together again in heaven. We thank you for it. And everyone here, Lord, some are going through difficult times. Again, might we be reminded of the truth of the power of, of the resurrection that we have by your Holy Spirit in us that we can live and be all that you want. We can for your glory. pray all this in Jesus' name. Activities we have coming up, we are, uh, have our Wednesday Bible study time. Uh, if you're able to come out this Wednesday, the 20th, 6.45 p.m., so uh, opportunity to delve into the Bible a little bit deeper. And then on Sunday, next Sunday, we'll have our monthly Matthew meal, um, opportunity for us to have a little extended fellowship time together, so if you're able to... Uh, stick around for lunch after church next Sunday. It'll be a good time to uh, share what's going on in your life and hear what others are going through in their walk with Christ. So um, keep that in mind. And then uh, just wanted to say regarding the gospel, I shared, I think, last Sunday, um, you know, some of our ministries that you can direct people to uh, regarding the gospel so they can be in encouraged, transformed by the gospel. Um, but I, I bring that up again so that you know that there's opportunity for you to be involved in those ministries if you're not. So just keep that in mind as far as uh, whether it's our uh, outreach with our missionaries overseas. We've got three groups that we deal with, uh, or if it's uh, sermon audio, some of our media uh, outreach through the gospel like sermon audio, uh, Steve's blog, which um, you know, I think is a handout today from that in the in the bulletin, uh, the tracks that we have here at church, uh, evangelism into the neighborhood. So just uh, think about that as far as areas for you to plug into if you're not already involved with those ministries. Just an idea for you to keep in mind. And now uh, we have our last songs. I'll remind you that as far as opportunity to. Give your offering. You've got the box on the back table. You can mail it in through the mail or give online. So thank you.
you stand with us as we have our last uh, couple of songs? Uh, one of them is taken from the Psalms, which um, David quite a bit was recognizing the salvation of God and his desire to tell everybody he could see that uh, of what Christ had done for him. So Psalm 96, proclaim good tidings, his salvation from day to day. Proclaim good tidings, your salvation from day to day. Proclaim good tidings, your salvation from day to day. Proclaim good tidings, your salvation from day to day. Proclaim good tidings, your salvation from day to day. His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all people. Proclaim the tidings, His salvation from day to day. Proclaim the tidings, His salvation from day to day. For grace. Is the Lord greatly to be praised? He is to be feared above all God. Proclaim the tidings, His salvation from day to day. Proclaim the tidings, His salvation from day to day. Proclaim the tidings. His salvation from day to day. Proclaim the tidings. His salvation from day to day. I want to end with another beautiful um, Easter hymn. Hallelujah. What a Savior. sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior, bearing shame and scoffing root in my place. my pardon with his blood hallelujah what a savior guilty vile and helpless we spotless lamb of god was he full atonement can it be Was 
Jesus said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest who is God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. 